Good afternoon, this is Pamela, and you are listening to Watchmen on the Pod. All right, last night, this morning, however you want to call it, I was up all night long working on this the Lord had given me to study out and also to be able to bring it out, hopefully, in a manner in which is easily understood. That's the most important thing. You know, for you and me both. I mean, if I don't understand it, how am I going to bring it forth? And if you don't understand it, what good was it? Right? Okay. Um, we are going to dig a little bit into history, which is going to give us an understanding of our present day of what's going on. <clears throat> okay. Right now, the things that are going on has been planned, believe it or not, for well over 100 years. If you've listened to any of the um, book reading of Billy Graham and His Friends by Dr. Kathy Burns, you should be able to see exactly coming to fruition of the socialism and the communism and those things. It, I mean, it's here. And then when you read or listen, I should say, on the book of 50 Years in the Church of Rome and also the secret history of the Jesuits. You put it all together and God has given us a picture of what is happening. On top of that, you go to the book of Revelation and throughout scripture and you will see that all of this was mentioned and he wants us to understand what exactly is going on. And <clears throat> truth be told, to me, it appears almost as if uh, the whole globe, <laughs> globe and flat earth, whatever you want to call it. I don't really care what people call it these days. But uh, the whole world is going to become a socialist, communist world under one dictator it seems to appear and so i'm not going to continue adding to that i'm going to begin to read this i pray that before you listen to this that you, you pray you seek god you ask him to show you the truth you ask him to uh, give you wisdom And that you keep an open mind and have a teachable attitude. And you will see things much clearer in the end of this, I do believe. So first off, I'm going to start off with Vladimir Lenin. Lenin was a Russian revolutionary, a politician, and a political theorist. Okay, He served as head of government of the Soviet Union from 1917 to 1924. And of the Soviet Union, did I call it Soviet Russia? I believe I did. And of the Soviet Union from 1922 to 1924. Under his administration, Russia, and then later the Soviet Union, became a one-party socialist state governed by the Soviet Communist Party. Okay? A Marxist, he developed a variant of this communist ideology known as Leninism, okay? 
Now, in order to understand all these great big crazy words, because we live here in America, and, you know, it's kind of foreign to us. So we need to understand what Marxism is, what communism is, and what socialism is, and finally, what is Leninism. Okay, Marxism. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. In the 1800s, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels together, these two realize that many of the people's current struggles occur due to the unfair treatment they receive from those that held power. So, they, oh, in a nutshell, I'm going to put it in a nutshell because it's, it's really hard, but it's a political and economic theory where a society has no classes. Here in America, we know that there's high class, middle class, low class. Basically, we're, we're set up in different classes, okay? They wanted to create a class, not a cashless, but a classless society. And um, every person within the society works for common good. A class struggle is theoretically on. No more, right? Sounds simple. Not so much. Actually, there's been many horror movies and um, books written based on trying to create a classless utopian society, and they always fail. Um, Marxism has never really, really happened completely. The ideal no, it hasn't. So in a simpler way, let's put it this way. The system where everybody buys and sells tries to make as much money as they can. So you end up with some people who have a lot of money who owns the factories and then some people who only have a little money and work in the factories. And Marx thought it was unfair. So he said that the people who work in the factories should own the factories. Bottom line. There you go. That's Marxism. Okay? Now, communism. At its core, communism opposes capitalism. In an effort to get rid of capitalism, communist governments, in theory, pay workers according to their ability and needs and remove capitalists by having a strong central government own all property publicly. Okay? One example a current communist government is China. However, much like any theory, communism can be taken to the extreme and its own form of oppression for workers, which goes against the ideals that Marxism had envisioned. So, I mean, it just goes against it completely. It really does. One example is North Korea, okay? While they are a communist country, their own visions and way of thinking have been added to the theory. And then additionally, government leaders takes more of the role of a monarch. Now we know how North Korea works, right? Not too cool, is it? No, it's really not. Now, socialism. Oh, with socialism, you get free things basically from the government, but you have to give up personal property and basically your life in essence, okay, in order to receive these free things. Now, I'm going to sneeze. Hold on one minute. <coughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> okay. Are you, forgive me. All right, here we go. Now, 
I looked this up and I'm just going to read this article that I had found because I mean, it's just, it's just perfect explanation. Okay. Now we must acknowledge that the great recession of 2008 tore a huge hole in the American people's faith in capitalism as the way to a better life and sent them looking for alternatives. Many of them, especially younger Americans found in a soft socialism that was part welfare state, part administrative state, part socialist state, okay? Capitalists failed to present a persuasive case for free markets, beginning with Milton Friedman's famous axiom, there is no such thing as a free lunch. And I want you to think about that. Nothing in this world right now really is free. You know, I'm not even kidding you, and you're going to say you're crazy. No, I'm really not. They actually want to start charging for the air that you breathe. Think about that. Yeah. Hmm. Amazing, huh? So nothing in this world is free. They may put the name free on it. Somebody's paying for it. Okay? Let's keep looking. Socialists love to cite Sweden and Denmark as socialist models, but these Scandinavian countries favor the free market over socialism in running their economic their economies and are content with private rather than government ownership of their major industries. Speaking before the National Press Club, the Danish Prime Minister opened his remarks by emphasizing that Denmark is not a socialist country. Okay? Now, also I believe it's is it the Amsterdam, the Amsterdam Lord, Switzerland. One of the two. I can't remember right now off the top of my head. Oh, I probably should have put that up, and I did not. Anyway, that country was a socialist country, and they ended up eating out of trash cans. There was definitely no class society there. <laughs> definitely was not. I mean, from one that would have been the richest to the poorest, they were filmed digging out of trash cans to eat. Their economy completely, totally collapsed. Seriously, I'm not kidding. But the government and stuff was still eating high on the hog. I want you to think about that. Okay? Now, what is to be done? We must educate the rising generation about the true costs of socialism. And not just in dollars and cents. Now, think. I want you to think about this. The other day, I got up, <clears throat> and I was in the kitchen, and the kids here are homeschooled right now. I guess it's called remote learning or something. They do it through the internet. And it's not like regular homeschooling to where, you know, the, the parent actually teaches them from <clears throat> books that are sinning or whatever what it is is they just don't attend the school but the teachers from the school they uh they teach through online classes okay and i was listening to this teacher and this teacher was going i mean he was really uh basically teaching socialism was good it was a good thing so right now Children are being educated in believing that socialist nations are a good thing. I want you to think about that. There's reasons. Okay, now. 
what must be done. We must educate, like I said, the rising uh, generation of the true cost of socialism. And it's not just dollars and cents. It's not. Do you think a majority of the millennials would choose socialism if they had to exchange for free education and free health care? They would have to give up their personal property as like their iPhone. Uh, this is not simply a possibility. The abolition of private property is the first victim of socialism. You own nothing. The government owns it all. But they'll let you use it. But to say, this is mine, would be no more. That's a socialist nation. Now, would 7% of millenniums be willing to accept communism with its denial of free speech, a free press, free assembly, the imprisonment of often and often execution of dissidents, no open elections, no independent jury or rule of law, dictatorship of the communist party in all manners and on all occasions so think about it you have no freedom whatsoever they want a communist nation and then if you if you try to speak out on these things you're either imprisoned go to uh work camps or you're killed there you go communism um this is the communism of China, Cuba, North Korea, Vietnam, Laos, and Nicaragua. Okay? Look up those countries. See how well their people are treated, please. Now, socialists like to say that socialism has never failed because it has never been tried. But, in fact, socialism has failed in every country where it has been tried, from the Soviet Union and the People's Republic of China to three non-communist countries that tried but ultimately rejected socialism. All three countries of those countries, Israel, India, and the United Kingdom, adhered to socialist principles and practices for more than 20 years, only to change direction and adopt capitalism as the better way to economic prosperity. As a result, India today has the largest middle class in the free world. So they tried it. It did not work. <clears throat> now, let's see. Um, the People's Republic of China has the second largest economy because in the late 1970s, um, their uh, leader abandoned the rigid excesses of Mayos. Mayos, M-A-O-I-E-I-S-T and adopted a form of communism that allowed foreign investments and even a stock market while underwriting state-owned enterprises. At the same time, being ensured strict political control of China through the Communist Party and the People's Liberation Army in accordance with Mao Zedong's motto, political power grows out of the barrel of a gun. You see what this says? Okay, now, but when it comes to all that, they do not allow their citizens to worship whom they want to worship. They do not allow their citizens to go to any church. They have one church. And they do not allow their people to read the Holy 
scriptures, you need to understand they have Bibles, yes, but these Bibles are, oh, a perversion of the true Bible. They've rewritten the Bible, and that is what they allow their people to read. Now, they did years ago um, print the real Bibles. They would price them extremely high. I mean, it would cost like, you know, a common worker's year's wage just to buy one Bible. And then when they ordered it and paid for it, when they went to pick it up, they were arrested. It was a legal Bible. They sold it legally. That's the way they fish people out in order to throw them in prison, put them in work camps, and probably kill them as well. Because Christianity is against the law over there. That's in a communist nation. Okay? Now, let's keep going. Socialism's central philosophical weakness is, in, is its dependence upon the errant thought of its founder, Karl Marx. Marx insisted that his version of Helian dialectic theists antithesis and synthesis was scientific and without flaw. He asserted that feudalism had been replaced by capitalism, which would be replaced by socialism and then communism, an irreversible process. But 200 years after the publication of the Communist Manifesto, capitalism rather than socialism dominates the global economy. According to the Heritage Foundation, 2018 Index of Economic Freedom, 102 countries, many with less developed or emerging economies, showed advances in economic growth and individual prosperity. As the esteemed economist Paul Samuelson wrote, quote, as a prophet, Marx was colossally unlucky and his system colossally unuseful, unquote. Now, Linen, linen, linenism, linenism, <laughs> from Joseph Linen, linen, yeah, okay. Is it Joseph? No, that was Joseph Stalin. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, forgive me. Let's keep going now. Linenism. Studied Marx, Lenin did, and other socialists, and sought to bring a socialist revolution in Russia. But there were some obstacles in carrying out a socialist revolution on Marxist principles in Russia. According to Marx, a workers' revolution would occur in an industrially advanced country where capitalism has attained its peak, when as high as it can go, okay? Also, in such a society, there will be a proletarian class conscious of the class antagonism who will lead the revolution. Marx's thesis was based on his observations of East European economics, and he was largely ignorant of other parts of the world. Tsarist Russia was underdeveloped, um, an agrarian economy, I'm sorry, economy, where Marx's revolution could not happen. Lenin, therefore, changed some crucial aspects of Marxism. He said the revolution happened in a nation 
where imperialism is weak. Also, he said that the revolution would occur with support of peasants, since the urban working class was not much conscious to lead the revolution alone. Lenin was opposed by a faction of socialists in Russia, and the socialists were split into two factions. This is where we get the Bolsheviks, led by Lenin himself, and then the Mensheviks, who was opposed to Lenin. Okay? So Lenin said, basically, you don't start the revolution on your own. That ain't going to get the people. You're going to get the people. To join you in the revolution. And that is when capitalism is at its peak. And then once you hit the peak, there's a downfall. There's a downfall. Okay? Let's keep going. In October 1917, Bolsheviks, 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 successfully seized the power through the revolution. One of the most important aspects of Lenin's theory was vanguardism, democratic centralism. Lenin believed that a vanguard party must seize the state machinery and power on behalf of the workers then lead the way towards communism. Democratic centralism is the theory of freedom in discussion and unity in action. All the theories of Marx, along with Lenin's modifications, are called Leninism. Lenin was responsible for the murder of the Russian Tsar and his family, the Romanovs. He also stole their treasures. Now, so here it is. He pretends like he is the, uh, what do we call them? We call them the blue-collar workers, the poor working class he becomes their friend basically in order to incite them to rise up against the government now Lenin had the Romanov's family which is the czar his family killed now I don't know if um you guys are familiar I'm I'm not Nikki's familiar with it I've never watched it but there was a movie a Disney movie Disney we won't talk about that called Anastasia and she was she said supposedly survived the slaughter I believe she was a Romanov and uh so anyway I mean that's that's just that's not here and there it's just in order for you to understand who these people were and they had great wealth great wealth and uh they were not killed for their wealth they were killed for the power Lenin wanted to be in charge, but wealth was just, you know, extra benefit, I guess, a bonus. I don't know how else to put it. It's just really weird. It's really sad, but it happened. Now, Lenin, not Lenin, I'm sorry, Leon Krausky, in his diaries, he quotes this man. Um, I can't really pronounce his name. I'm going to try. Servilov. He was Bolshevik, by the way. Um, he was actually a leader, not of the Bolshevik, but of Russia. And he was telling him that Lenin and the other party leaders decided to kill the Tsar and his immediate family, while other sources dismissed the report as mere folklore. Some people believe it, some people don't. 
In any case, as chairman of the All-Russian Central Executive Committee from the Revolution until his death a little over a year later, this Siverlov was the nominal head of state, although it's generally acknowledged that Lenin called the shot. So basically he was a puppet, you know, I don't know how else to put it, but he was a puppet. Frontman. Now, Serverlov died in Moscow on March 16, 1919. According to one version, it was after contracting influenza on a political trip, while a second version holds that he was killed by anti-Semitic workers. He was a Jew in the Urals, and the crime was covered up by the authorities. So, you know, no one knows but God. And Stalin who was a Bolshevik, also succeeded Serverloid in his post. There was also speculation that he engineered his colleague's murder, that he, he literally killed him. Now, they were friends for a while. They became close friends for a while. But then, I guess, Joseph Stalin was, you know, rude. <laughs> you know, bad behavior, bad bad manners and stuff, and it's sad. And he... And that other guy, that Serverloid, his first name was Jakob, Jacob, and Stalin had a dog, and he named him basically equivalent to Jacob, and so he was quite offended, and they, they split. They were no longer friends. And anyway, so it's saying that Joseph Stalin killed him in order to take his position. Now, there was another man named Nikolai Gomothkoy, oh, I can't say that name, died in August 1921. His friends didn't dare mourn him in public. He was a prominent Russian poet and a dissident had been arrested and falsely accused of plotting an uprising against the Bolsheviks. Now, the radical left-leaning movement founded by Vladimir Lenin, that was Lenin's first name, hold on one minute, Boy, am I coming against opposition trying to do this. Forgive me. Alright. <coughs> okay. Now, followed by Vladimir Lenin that took power in the wake of the Russian Revolution. This Nikolai was convicted without a trial and executed by firing squad. So Vladimir Lenin had him killed because it was said that he had an uprising, was plotting, let's say, a uprising against Bolsheviks, which Lenin created and was in charge of. So let's not forget that. Now, the poet was just one of many victims of the Red Terror, and that's what they called this time. A state-sponsored wave of brutality that was decreed in Russia on September 5, 1918, and lasted until 1922. And this was all headed by Lenin, all right, Vladimir Lenin. Very important to understand. Now, the intent on maintaining this control of a country in the throes of civil war, the Bolsheviks, Bolsheviks used terror tactics to silence their enemies and dissuade others from resisting them. 
just like, you know, you want to get a point across, well, use one person as an example and, you know, like tough punishment, whatever, set them as an example to where people be fearful and be like, oh, we're not going to do that because you know what happened to so-and-so, okay? And that's basically what they were doing in order to instill fear upon the masses. Tens of thousands and possibly more than a million people were branded class enemies and detained in concentration camps or summarily executed, okay? The terror cleared the way for decades of Soviet rule and state-sanctioned violence. I want you to remember this. This is very, very important. And God, God be willing, we'll get right back to this, okay? This is important. Now, World War I was still in progress, and the government officials worried that a defeat at the hands of the Germans would lead to the restoration of the monarchy. They didn't want that. So meanwhile, food shortages continued to stir discontent among many Russians. In November 1917, Bolsheviks took advantage of the unrest and seized power by promising peace, land, and bread to the Russian people. Now I'm going to stop there just for a minute. And the reason I'm going to stop there is I've got to interject here. Um, here it is. We're reading about 1918, 1917, right? Why isn't pandemic being mentioned in these historical occurrences? I find that funny. I find it odd. I have been reading historical books for the past few months now. And you know what? When they get to the 1917s and the 1918s, they mention everything but that. I find that kind of peculiar. I really do. I'm not saying it didn't happen. But I find it kind of odd that historians don't even mention it. And I'm talking about you. You got you got books in print, in print, okay? Not internet website not things that they could change and it looks like it's official but it's not official get books in print seriously i'm not even kidding all right let's keep going now vladimir lenin he was shot on august 30th 1918 he lived obviously um it is unknown who committed the attempted assassination the deed was pinned on fanny kaplan a young Jewish revolutionary who was arrested after investigation by the Pika. Uh, Bolsheviks, secret police. As Lenin recovered in the hospital, he wrote to one of his operatives, telling him that, now quote, it is necessary secretly and urgently to prepare the terror, unquote. That was a signal to begin a campaign of brutal aggression, and suppression against the Bolsheviks' class enemies. Anyone suspected of being aligned with the whites, which was the other ones, remember the Mensheviks, was known as the whites, Bolsheviks, was known as the Reds. Known as the Red Terror, the campaign served two purposes, doing away with the Bolsheviks' enemies and painting the Bolsheviks as defenders of the working class. The Red Terror became the official state policy on September 5th, 1918. Okay. Now you may wonder why am I going through all this and what does this have to do and what is, you know, with what is happening now? 
We must understand what these movements are first and those who were behind the creations of them and their ideology. You need to understand their mind frame, what they were thinking and why they they invented or created or however these movements. So now let's take a look at a person that was very much a Leninist and a socialist, okay? This person, his name was Armin or Armand Hammer. He was born on May 21st, 1898, in the lower side of New York. His parents was Julius Hammer and the former Rose Robinson, um, Lizvich, I can't say her name. Uh, they were both born in the Ukrainian Russia and had immigrated with their respective families to the U.S. in the early 1890s. Now, Julius was a druggist and later a medical doctor and businessman. Also a very committed socialist, as well as a founder of the American Communist Party. Founder of the American Communist Party, okay? It was his idea to name his first son for the symbol of the U.S. Socialist Labor Party, a muscular arm gripping hammer. Hence, arm and hammer. Arman. A-R-M-E-N-D. Hammer. Okay, you get it? Arm and hammer. No joke. Arman gave their other explanations for his name. Because, you know, people were like, what What on earth, right? So he also made an unsuccessful attempt in 1980s by Dwight and Churchill, American company that produced arm and hammer, baking soda, and other products. So that he explained when people asked if he was connected to the company, he could say yes. They refused his proposal. He was not allowed to buy it trying to cover up his socialist ideals, his ideology, and they refused, they would not. He was named after the Socialist Labor Party. Plain and simple, he was. Okay. Armand graduated from Morris High School in the Bronx in 1915. He attended both college and medical school at Columbia University, earning a medical degree in 1921. Now, he never practiced medicine, however. In 1921, his father was sent to prison, and Armand had to take over management of his small drug company. Julius, which was his father, it turns out had performed an illegal abortion in his home clinic, and when his patient died, he was convicted of first-degree manslaughter. That was what was told. But. Armand confided and told a very close friend that his dad was not the one that performed the abortion, but it was he that did. And his father thought if he said it was him, the judge would go easy on him since he was a licensed doctor and Armand was only a student. Well, that didn't work out well as he had planned, but, you know, he didn't really spend that much time in prison for what was done, which he should have, but you know, that's not here or there. Now, with no alternative, he asked Armand to take his place in a planned business trip to Russia. Okay. Now remember, he was from Ukraine, Russian, so was his wife. So Armand's mom and dad were Russian, so he was Russian. Armand had never left the country before and knew no Russian. 
this father's affiliation with the Bolsheviks landed him a meeting on his arrival with Vladimir Lenin. Post-revolution, the country's economy was in shambles, okay? And Lenin immediately proposed several joint business ventures to Hammer, who had thought he had come just to collect some large debt. So he was like, you know, trying to butter him up, basically. He, he, he was concerned, right? Well, Armand had a few businesses over in Russia, as well as turning his drug company into a major importer and exporter between Russia and the U.S., okay? They became fantastic friends. You talk about the Armand or Armin or however you want to pronounce his name. He got some of the highest honors from Lenin. He really did. And Lenin basically protected him and had people, you know, do whatever he asked. And it was just amazing. So let's continue. Now, after Lenin had died and Joseph Stalin came into power, um, Armand packed up and came back to the U.S., he did not leave empty-handed. He came back with priceless artwork, jewelry, and other objects of art once owned by the Romanov family, which he picked up from the cash-hungry communist regime. Think about that. Um, back here in the U.S., he got involved in the alcohol production. During the Prohibition years, he made and sold a medicinal ginger extract that happened to have a very high alcohol level. And then after the Prohibition, he bought the J.W. Dant Bourbon Distillery. In 1956, he took over two exploratory oil wells from a bankrupt firm called Occidental Petroleum. The well struck oil, and by the next year, Hammer was the company's CEO. 1970, with investments in Libya and expansion into petrochemicals, Occidental had revenues of $2 billion and by 1986 of $16 billion. That's a lot of money today, but can you imagine what it was back then? Wow. Under pressure from the Libyan leader, Gaddafi, Occidental was the first Western-owned oil company to yield control of oil prices to OPEC in 1973, a development that would have global implications in the years to follow, as we know. Now, Hammer also made, hundred, um, made over $100 million business investments in Israel. His family was Russian Jews, but never affiliated with the Jews. I mean, he never acknowledged it. He never said, I'm Jewish or my religion's Jewish or anything like that. No, he claimed to be Protestant as well as other faiths in order to hide his Jewishness. Why? I can't answer. I don't know. It's none of my business. Um, but when he was close to death's door, basically, he did embrace his Jewish heritage and even wanted to have a bar mitzvah at the age of 92 or approaching the age of 92, I should say. He planned it on December 11th, 1990, as a fundraising event for several Israeli organizations. But he died on December 10th, a day before. And though the event, it did go on as planned. Yeah, without him, obviously. 
<laughs> they didn't prop him up against the jukebox, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Forgive me. That was rude. Okay. The museum he built in Los Angeles to house his art collection, which was pricey art, but I put in parentheses, and I, I, I just believe this, it was bloody art. Being it was stolen from the Romanovs who were murdered by Lenin, opened after his death. Okay, now, during his lifetime, let's get to that, I'm sorry. All right, now during his lifetime, Armin Hammer recognized the importance of buying politicians. And he got his hands on one in particular that definitely drew my attention, and that was Senator Albert Gore Sr., getting a hold of him, that is how Albert Gore Sr. got the wealth to enable him to live in splendor in Washington's Fairfax Hotel and to be able to send his son, Al Jr., the former vice president, to the pricey St. Albans School. In 1950, Hammer made Mr. Gore a partner in a cattle breeding business from which the senator made a substantial profit. Thereafter, Gore was Hammer's designated door opener in official Washington. When Mr. Gore retired, Hammer made him the president of Occidental's Coal Division, where he earned more than 500 thousand dollars a year his son al you know al gore next put the family senate seat at hammer's service um the 1981 inauguration of ronald reagan jr al jr managed for hammer to be seated in a section reserved for senators Hammer lurked in the doorway, hoping to gladhand to get a hold of the president, but Ronald Reagan brushed by him without even a glance, and with a reason. Years earlier, someone had informed him, who was the head of the French intelligence, his name was Alexandre de Marchese. Um, had warned him that Hammer was a Soviet agent of influence. So Ronald Reagan just went right by him. Okay? You know they had to infuriate this man. You know it had to. Anyway, so Herman Hammer got a hold of Al Gore Sr., puffed him up, made him rich, and they were very good friends. The reason they were good friends is they had the same socialist views. And uh, they had much in common when it came to the political socialist views. Now, the Council for a Livable World, founded in 1962 by longtime socialist activist and alleged Soviet agent Leo Fliz... Oh. Zizzlerd is a nonprofit advocacy organization that seeks to reduce the danger of nuclear weapons and increase national security, primarily through supporting progressive congressional candidates who support their policies. 
The council supported Albert Gore Sr. in his successful Senate run as candidate for Tennessee. Now, when Joe Biden started running for Senate in 1972, few people thought the young man from Delaware had even a chance. But a well-placed Tennessee couple tagged him early as an up-and-comer. Quote, I was 29 years old running for the United States Senate against a guy with an 81% favorable rating, a year where Nixon won my state by over 65% of the vote, and I was an Irish Catholic in a state that had never elected one. Unquote. That's what Biden told Tennessee Democrats in a speech in 2010, recounting the story that got scant media attention at the time. Now, Biden pulled off a stunning 3,162 vote upset with a mix of youthful vigor, skillful campaigning, energized volunteers, and smart advertising. Fueled by tens of thousands of dollars that a prominent Tennessee couple raised for his campaign. His candidacy, his candidacy caught the eye of former Tennessee Senator Albert Gore Sr., who was working with Washington, D.C.-based arms control group called the Council for a Livable World, and his wife, Pauline. Remember, that was a socialist organization. Though the numbers look quaint by today's seven- and eight-figure standards for Senate campaigns, Gore's raised a substantial $89,000, Biden said at the Tennessee Democratic Party's Jackson Day Dinner in 2010. That was nearly one-third of the 287000 he brought in overall. Now, Ted Kaufman, who volunteered for Biden's campaign, said Gore's support was critical. Kaufman later served as Biden's chief of staff for 19 years and briefly succeeded him in the Senate in 2009 and 2010, after President Barack Obama took office with Biden as his deputy VP. Boggs, the incumbent senator 40 years ago, was, quote, one of the most popular and beloved figures in Delaware history, unquote, Kaufman said in a phone interview. No one on the national political scene thought Biden, who was, quote, 29 years old and looked 29 years old, unquote, had a chance until Albert Gore Sr., who had lost a re-election bid in 1970, sent out a letter to the Council for a Livable World's supporters, urging them to take a hard look at the Delaware race, Kaufman recalled. Remember, Council for a Livable World is a socialist organization. It gave Biden credibility in Washington, he said. It also attracted people to come and help on the race. Gore thought it could win. Clearly, he endorsed Biden's views, but the key thing that came out of it was telling people he had a chance to win. That was what made it so special. On June 21, 1971, 
Nashville Banner reported that Gore, six months removed from the Senate, would become Washington chairman of the Council for a Living World, which advocates for decreasing the threat of nuclear weapons. Founded in 1962, the Council also works to help like-minded candidates win Senate and House seats. Strategy, people. Strategy. Gore expects to spend much time in the next 18 months traveling across the country in behalf of 1972 Senate candidates for which the council is raising campaign money, Banner reported in a short story. Nashville civil rights attorney George Barrett, who practiced law with both Albert and Pauline Gore in the early 1970s, said the couple saw in Biden, quote, a progressive, bright, hardworking young man. Quote. Quote, Albert was very perceptive politically and Pauline even more so, unquote, Barrett said. Former U.S. Senator Jim Sasser, a Tennessee Democrat who joined Biden in the state in the Senate in 1976, said Albert Gore saw a familiar spark in the Delaware candidate. Senator Gore developed a real attachment to Biden because he said Biden reminded him very much of himself when he was a young man trying to get started in electoral politics and coming up through the ranks. Sasser said from Washington, quote, he said Biden was very self-assured, a little brash, unquote. The Obama campaign said Biden was unavailable for an interview, but he spent almost three minutes talking about the impact of the Gores, who are both deceased, during his 2010 speech in Nashville, he called himself a product of Al Gore Sr., who was a product of Armin Hammer, who was a dear friend of Vladimir Lenin. You see, uh, what is it? What do you want to call it? The chain? links in the chain here. Do you see this? I really pray that you see this. All right, here's the deal. This is what the vice president said. I was desperately trying to raise money. I got a call from a woman named Pauline Gore. Would I come down to Washington and meet with her and Senator Gore and some concerned scientists who wanted to talk about the spread of nuclear weapons? It was an outfit called the Council for a Livable World. Again, remember, socialist organization. So I showed up in Senator Gore's apartment in the Methodist House, which was Catter Corner from the Supreme Court. That's when I first met young Al Gore. I sat there and it basically was an interview. I didn't realize it. Senator Gore, who had left the Senate two years earlier, said, I'm going to help you. Sasser said the money the Gores raised for Biden typically came through small contributions, 100 to 200, just from people concerned about the nuclear arms race back in those days and trying to do something about it. In the banner story that announced his plans to work with the Council for a Livable World, Gore was quoted as saying, quote, Senators ought not to be elected with the support of a few large contributors and special interest groups, but with the help of a broadly based citizenry of moderate means, unquote. When Labor Day 1972 arrived, Biden looked like as much of a long shot as ever. Bull showed his support flagging at about 19%, Kaufman said. Biden was already, quote, a world-class retail candidate, unquote. 
often recalled, and he ran on a, quote, a new democratic platform, environment, up on crime, balanced budget, tax reforms, unquote. A Washington Post story in 2007 about Biden's long-term inner circle, including Kaufman, said the candidate, quote, spent all day meeting voters, unquote, in 1972, and left, quote, virtually everything else, unquote, to his sister Valerie, who ran his campaign. When the votes were counted that November, Biden had sent Boggs home from Washington, just as the Republican Bill Brock had done to Gore two years earlier. In the coming weeks, Biden would turn 30, making him old enough to serve in the Senate. Lose his wife and one-year-old daughter in a car crash, a tragedy that almost caused him to give up the seat he had just won. And he's sworn in at the hospital bedside of his two young sons who were critically injured in the accident. John Isaacs, executive director of the Council for a Livable World, was not yet with the organization 40 years ago. But he said finding the getting finding and getting behind Biden quote was one of our great was one of our greatest coups unquote. Biden has always remembered the group's support. Isaac said that it that its website includes a video of the vice president talking about the council's help. Quote, when you support a politician in his first race, especially an unknown local candidate like Joe Biden, they remember it forever, unquote, Isaac said. At the Jackson Day dinner in 2010, Biden made it clear that his fond memories of his first Senate campaign don't stop with the council. Quote, so if you want to blame anybody for my being a United States senator elected seven times and a vice president, unquote, he said, it is all the fault of former Senator now <clears throat> all right let's keep going now here are some of the highlights of and lowlights of biden's voting record on trade on the positive side from a free trade perspective he voted consistently to maintain normal trade relationships with china including permanent ntr in 2000 for the north american free trade agreement with canada and mexico in 1993 for the Uruguay Round Agreements and Act, Act in 1994, for the Freedom Farm Act in 1996, Fast Track Trade Promotion Authority in 1998, to defund enforcement of the travel ban to Cuba, to cut sugar production subsidies, and in favor of the Morocco and Australian Free Trade Agreements in 2004. On the negative side, for those who support the freedom to trade, Biden voted for steel import quotas in 1999 for the 2002 and 2008 protective subsidy Latin farm bills against trade promotion authority in 2002 against Chile, Singapore, Oman, and Dominican Republic Central American FTAs in favor of the Byrd Amendment directing anti dumping booty to complaining companies in favor of imposing steep tariffs on imports from China to force changes in that country's currency regime and in favor of screening of 100% income shipping containers by 2012. Now, for a senator, senator who prides himself on his foreign policy experience, Biden's record shows great ambivalence about American participation in global economy. 
And so it was like, all right, Lord, what does ambivalence mean? I had no idea. So I had to look it up. Ambivalence is the state of having mixed feelings or contradictory ideas about something or someone. Why would that be? Why would he have contradictory ideas or mixed feelings about American participation in the global economy? Why? Because economy must crash in order for socialism to step up. Civil unrest must happen now. Joe Biden is not only an Irish Catholic, but he was a Jesuit taught man, and he is a socialist. I would even dare to say a Leninist. Right now, what is happening is as Lenin did in Russia. He is stirring up civil unrest between the citizens of this nation. Right now, he, I mean, as soon as he got in office, he basically made it okay for an abortion at any time, in any place, anywhere. Don't matter. You're free to abort. Kill the babies. Kill the babies. Kill the babies. That's how he feels. And then now he has made it basically all illegal to speak against the LGBTQ plus B or whatever it is. That agenda, he's jumped on board. Um, also... They literally want people to turn people in that voted for President Trump, turn them in basically as um, hate mongers, I guess you want to say, homegrown terrorists, whatever. I thank God I didn't vote for nobody, but this man is causing great division. Now see, Trump was placed in office to bring about the race war most certainly was, as well as the division between so-called Christians and secular people. That rift was gotten so huge, the division gotten so huge while Trump was in office, but it was planned, it was needed, it needed to be so, because they're, they're wanting to speed up their plan, right? Now, it was iffy whether he was going to be given another 44 years, but thing is, with this pandemic that they had created and is still going on, it went better than they anticipated. And what I mean better than they anticipated is it caused riots, hatred, fearfulness, and the betrayal of people turning on one another. That's what they wanted. That's what they needed. They need to create order out of the chaos that they created. And they did this through this pandemic and they had no idea how great it was going to work out and how quickly it was going to catapult all this. And it did. It's amazing. It truly did. Now, there was no need to keep Trump in office for another four years. He served his purpose. Get him out. Now we got to get one in. It was right for someone to usher in peace, land, and monetary means. You understand? For the people who have lost everything due to the pandemic. Someone who appears to fight for the little man, the working class man. So his move is to look like he cares by handing out large sums of money that will realistically throw our nation so deep into debt there will be no hope other than the way of communist China and Russia. Soon, Biden will have accomplished his purpose. 
and possibly Amendment 25 will be enacted, saying he is senile or just not mentally to hold the office. Then the VP, a non-U.S. born citizen who has nothing but spite for this nation and for Christian values, will take over. This has been planned for over a hundred years for this nation. And by the time socialism, Marxism, Leninism is in full effect, no one will even have a clue how we got here. But it is here, and millions are sitting on their couches playing games and drawing unemployment with the extra, I don't know how much it is now, it used to be 600 plus, COVID plan and not wanting to go back to work because they make more just sitting there doing nothing. Um, many younger people want a socialist nation. They believe it would be a good thing. They only know what they have been told to believe, but it's earlier when they are told, we will feed you, clothe you, give you housing, free school, free medical, nothing is your own personal property anymore. Maybe, just maybe, they will see the truth. And then it will be too late. Now, bottom line, you want to eat? You want to buy and sell? Then obey, and they will supply your need. Nothing is yours to keep. It will cost you your soul one day. Take the mark and live, or refuse and be labeled a rebel and then die. Stated earlier, there ain't no free lunch. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, God told him, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat and feed your family. There are no handouts in this life. Nothing is free. Someone has an agenda behind the label free. Now, as Apostle Paul stated, if you don't work, then you do not eat. It's as simple as that. Some are trying to say that Jesus was a socialist. That is so far from the truth. Now, we're going to read a few scriptures to show you that Jesus was in no way a socialist. In no way does he advocate lazy people. No way does he say, you sit there, do nothing, and you can have everything for free. You just obey me, and that's it. No. There's work to be done, brothers and sisters. There's work to be done, let me tell you. Now, a lot of people, they will use the, uh, not, it's not even a parable, the account of when there was a little boy that had some fish and some bread, and there was thousands of people that needed to eat, and they try to use that as an example that Jesus was a socialist. No, he was not. He did not threaten that little boy. He did not take that food from that little boy. That little boy offered food him. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus did not say, you give me that food or else. No, he did not. No, he did not. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't take more for himself and then give the remainder to the people, did he? No, he gave to the people first and then what was remained left over. He had the disciples gathered together so none would be wasteful. You see, with the socialist nation, the perfect example is this, this stupid stimulus. Okay. I'm sorry. I don't get one. It's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I thank God that I don't get one. I have not gotten one and I will not get one. I don't want that money because that money is nothing but a payout in order to increase your appetite for more, more free money, more free money. And basically it's like, you do what I say and I will give to you. No, thank you. I do not want your money. So here it is. Get you hooked. Now, this 
economy is not going to get any better. Them handing out all this money is going to throw us so deep in debt. I don't even know. I, we can't get out. We just can't. It's done. Done. This nation's done. Now, on top of that, you got the farmlands that has been all messed up through the tornadoes and the and the flood and all that. You've got Bill Gates who's saying that our nation needs to begin to eat synthetic meat, not even real meat. And now you've got where they had said <clears throat> started in 2019 and a horrible fire at one of the major meat packing places. And that is what began the downfall with the meat. And after that, you had the floods had taken place, not last year, but the year before that killed millions of livestock. And then last year in 2020, you had this COVID thing going on, right? And that killed on top of not only killed, not the disease, they literally killed themselves, euthanized chickens, pigs, cattle, sheep, things that we eat. They poured out milk on the ground. They um, tilled back in the produce that was uh, grown instead of selling it or giving it away. They tilled it back in. There's heaps, there was heaps upon heaps of produce just laying there rotting. Instead of giving it to the poor, they let it rot. <clears throat> meat packing places closed down because they said they had COVID. Now what they're saying, hold on. And then over in other countries, they had swine flu again. They had the bird flu again. You know, they had to kill all, all, all this uh, livestock and stuff. Food, people, food. And then the locust happened and was eating up the vegetation and all that stuff. Do you not see history repeating itself? It's going to be so much worse than what it was over in 1919, 1920 over in Russia. Famine, believe it or not, is true here. Now, the word of God in these few verses tells you very plain. God is not a socialist. Jesus is not a socialist. Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing. A lazy person will sit there and desire something, but they're not going to get up in order to get it. The soul of the diligent shall be made fat, shall be made full, shall be satisfied. Proverbs 10.4, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. He's lazy, and he's going to get nothing. Proverbs 10.5, he that gathereth in the summer is a wise son. He that sleepeth in the harvest is a son that causeth shame. Uh, and this right here, sadly, is the millennials. And the millennials, they would not know how to survive. Because all they know is their video games. All they know is their cell phones. All they know is stuff that they have been indoctrinated in the schools. They're not being taught life skills. And what I mean by that is if power were to go out today and all of your food rot in the refrigerator and in the freezers, how will they eat? I want you to think about it. Do they know how to hunt? Do they know how to nurture? Do they know how to preserve? Do they know how to plant a garden? They know life 
skills? Do they know how to survive? No, they're not taught that. And you know what? It's not just the school's fault. It's the parents' fault also. Because we have become a nation that is lazy. We have remote controls for everything. As a matter of fact, now we even have smart refrigerators. They know when you're out of milk and they'll order it for you and it'll come right to your doorstep too. You don't even have to go to the grocery store anymore. You don't have to look in the refrigerator to see if you have any of it left because why? The refrigerator already knows and has already contacted the store in order to deliver it to you. That's the kind of society we live in. You don't have to get up to turn your lights on. Just clap or just push a button and boom, lights are on. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to be home in order to make sure that your your air conditioner is working or your heater is working. Nope, uh-uh. You just check your cell phone and then turn it up to whatever temperature you want it so when you get home, you're home in comfort. That's the kind of society we are living in this day, a society that has made people fat and lazy. You don't work for anything. And then... Not only that, we live in a fast food society. So people want everything fast and they want it now. It's like that little brat that was in Willy Wonka says, I want it and I want it now. Yeah, that's what America is all about. And it's really sickening. And it is so not of God at all. I want you to understand that. I mean, I seen, oh, I, it's, it was a video, I believe it was on YouTube. And it was, it was a mockery, basically, of the church on how people kind of like go through this uh, drive-through church and order what they want. And they want it, you know, they want it the way they want it. They don't want too much preaching. They don't want no preaching on hell. They want a feel-good message, and they only want it to last for X amount of minutes, and that's it. And then they want upbeat music. Well, that's exactly what is happening in the church today in America. America is an apostate religion. They have turned their backs on God Almighty and the millennials and those that have raised these millennials have their hand out to the government and say, give me money. I'll do whatever you say. That is not of God at all. Now, I'm going to continue. Proverbs 6, 6, go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, traveleth, and I want as an armed man. Proverbs 19.15 Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. 19.24 Proverbs A slothful man hideth his hands in his bosom, and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. I don't know if you've ever looked into what a sloth is. The laziest creature on earth. And God says lazy men are just like that. So lazy they won't even lift their hand up to feed themselves. I want you to think about that and understand that. That is the world we're living in. That is the nation we are living in today. Nobody wants to cook 
gardener. Nobody wants to grow their own food. Nobody wants to go and hunt for their own food and butcher it. No, they would rather go to the grocery store. But now we live in a society where people are like, oh, but you can't do that to an animal. No, you shouldn't be eating meat or anything like that. And it's really sad, but it's true. That is what's happening in the world we live in today. So I hope you understand how this has all been planned out for well over a hundred years. It's not going to get any better. It's going to continuously get worse. Now, as I said in the beginning of this broadcast, go to the book of Revelation and begin to search out and understand exactly what is happening when it comes to the man of sin, the son of perdition, the beast. I want you to get it and understand. Yeah, he's going to be a dictator. He's going to be absolutely evil. But in the beginning, he's not going to look that way. No, he's going to look like a great guy, is he not? And I honestly believe with all of my heart that we are looking right now down the barrel of the socialist gun, communism gun, Leninism gun, Marxism gun, however you want to put it all together. And there you go. Two plus two does equal four brothers and sisters. And that is what's happening in this world today as we know it or seeing it unfold before us. You know, it's getting to the point now where, you know, it's got well, I'm going to leave that there. I'm not even going to talk about the V word right now. I'm just really seriously not. That's your choice, not my choice. I will not. I refuse, absolutely refuse it. I'm going to tell you why. Do I believe it's the mark of the beast? No, I do not. I don't. But I do know this. I know it's an abomination of God Almighty. I am not going to inject or have injected into my body anything that has got aborted baby DNA cells, anything like that, animal cells, anything that God says is an abomination, I'm not going to put in my body. I'm not going to do it. I will go to jail. I will be killed. It does not matter. I will not be able to go buy, sell, eat, whatever. It does not matter. That's why I refuse it, because God says it's an abomination. That's between you and God. I suggest you don't. But you know what? I cannot make up your mind for you. You have a free will. You can make your own decisions when it comes to that. So I'm going to leave that there, brothers and sisters. And <sighs> go back over, re-listen to this, um, search the word out. Above all, go to God. Go to the Father in prayer. Ask him for wisdom. It says in the word of God, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God and he will give it to you freely upbraid. If not, you got to just ask in faith, knowing he will. He has given each and every one of us his precious Holy Spirit the moment that we are born again. And he will lead us. He will guide us. He will show us things to come. He will give us the discernment to be able to tell what is of God and what is not of God. He will be able to show us who is speaking truth and who is speaking lies. Go to God first and foremost. Don't listen to man and by no means... <sighs> Please don't rely on your own understanding. Go to him in prayer. I love you all so very, very much, brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Your nose in the book, which is the word of God.
and embed the word of God upon the tablets of your hearts so you will not sin against God. I love you all so very, very much. Be blessed, brothers and sisters. Be blessed. Bye-bye.